I hope you've had a uh, wonderful holiday. I really missed getting together to worship. Uh, really enjoyed it this morning. You know, one of the things that I'm just constantly aware of how blessed we are is that we have such a wonderful team that leads us into God's presence. So thank you guys this morning and the rest of you who are part of that team who aren't on today. You're fantastic. Uh, as I said, I think we're all going to be part of the team next week because they don't have to wear masks while they're singing. I, I found that a bit distracting. Maybe I just had bad breath and I needed to brush my teeth again. <laughs> if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Leviticus. Your favorite, absolutely favorite book of the Bible. And then put your finger there. We ended up last year talking about the kingdom of God. And I was just reminded again that what Jesus taught about the kingdom was a totally counter culture to the world. Jesus didn't say, here are the problems in the world. How do I fix it? He just brought a whole different kingdom. Different king, different ruler, different values, different everything. He didn't say, okay, let's change the government. I mean, Israel was actually uh, enslaved, uh, occupied by the Romans. Jesus didn't actually deal with that. You would think he would have. He actually said, no, I'm going to do something else. And so for us to be reminded that the kingdom of God is totally counter to the kingdom of the world. There are some values, maybe, of things in the world that align with the kingdom, and we accept those, but that doesn't mean we align with the, the groups behind that. Whether it's the government or whether it's an economic outlook, we have a whole different perspective. And that's the, the kingdom. And in light of that, I appreciate Mary asking you to, to share what you feel like God's saying because we like to gather all that. But obviously in preparing for this year, I've been praying and I can't say that I've heard a word from God. I have some things that I'm praying for me and for us as a church. And I want to share those with you briefly. I'm not going to preach about those because I want to get us to that point eventually. But uh, I really am desiring to see an increase in God's presence in my life, but in us as we gather. An increase in his anointing. We had a ministry time with our leadership team in December, and we prayed for one another. And one of the things that uh, the group that was praying for me prayed was an increase in the anointing of God. And maybe they just thought I didn't have any, I needed some more. No, it was actually just something of uh, that increase. And I believe that God has that for all of us. And then lastly, an increase in fruitfulness. So an increase in presence, anointing, and fruitfulness is my prayer for this coming year. We're going to get there eventually. We're not going to get there today. Uh, I actually am excited to do a series beginning in uh, February on effective kingdom ministry. But before we get to that point, we have to have a right image of God, a right picture of God. And that's what I want to start with for this month. And what I want to start with this morning is what I believe is the number one characteristic of God in the Bible. 
Now you think you already know what that is, so we better pray. (laughs) Holy Spirit, we just thank you for your presence already. Thank you for the ministry, the freedom that you bring. Thank you for the revelation. What a privilege we have that we can still gather and magnify you and experience that synergy of your presence as we gather together. And we thank you for that. Do what only you can do this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I think the number one characteristic of God revealed in the Bible and also one of the most misunderstood is that God is holy. You thought I was going to say something else, didn't you? I'll get to that next week. Why the number one? Because God reveals himself as holy. One of the first characteristics that he reveals himself to man, Leviticus 11, from verse 44, says, For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Verse 45, You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Leviticus 19.2, he says the same thing. You'll be holy for I am holy. He doesn't say, you'll be holy because I like holiness. You should be holy because holiness makes me happy. He says, you should be holy because I am holy. Not only does God reveal himself as holy, but the angels acknowledge God as holy. Isaiah 6.3, around the throne, the angels declare, and they cried one to another, saying, Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. Revelation 4.8, same thing, around the throne, the angels are declaring, uh, the four living creatures declaring, uh, not rest day and night, saying, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy. It doesn't say, great, great, great is the Lord. They're not declaring, loving, loving, loving is God. Powerful, powerful, powerful. All those are true. But what they're declaring is holy. You're getting a picture here. Lastly, why I think it's the number one characteristic of God is that the Spirit of God is called holy. He's the Holy Spirit. Mark 1.8 says, indeed, I, uh, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Luke 11.13, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Acts 2.4, in case you haven't got that yet. And they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. I know that there are some people who like to put, do away with the the and make it into a name, Holy Spirit, which is fine. If that's how you connect with the Spirit on a relational basis, that's great. I do that when I'm talking to him, when I'm praying. But holy is not a name. It's a description. The Spirit of God is holy. It's not his first name. 
It's a description of who God is. So if God declares himself as holy, if the angels acknowledge he's holy, if the spirit of God is called holy, it's probably good that we know what holy means. So that was your next question, so I'm going to tell you. The word holy means two things. I know I'm laying a foundation for the next few weeks, so you just got to kind of stay with me here. I know this gets a little bit into the weeds, but it actually means two things. Holy means separate or apart, like you would set something apart for a certain use. It doesn't mean that God has been set apart for a certain use. It means God is apart, but it also means pure or unpolluted. So let's talk with the separate apart deal as it applies to God. Literally means that God is a different being to all the rest of us. Some of us unfortunately have a subconscious idea of this column of life, you know, with uh, one-celled amoebas on the bottom and, and other things as you, as you go up, insects and mice and maybe dogs or cats if you're a cat person, and eventually man's there and angels, because the Bible says men are a little bit lower than the angels, and then God's at the top of that column. He's the most advanced being. But what holiness means is that God is not part of that column. He's part of a separate column all his own. He's different. He's separate. He's apart. He's holy. He's not like us. Genesis says God made man in his own image, and someone said since that point, men have been trying to remake God in their image. He's not in our image. He's different. He's holy. He's uncreated. He's eternal. Hard for us to comprehend, but it is. He's different, but that difference also means he's totally pure. Unpolluted. 1 Timothy 6.10 says he dwells maybe I got the wrong one because it says dwelling in unapproachable light. I think I've got the wrong of course the guys with the overhead don't have the wrong one. It's the, uh, the guy behind the uh, music stand up here in front. Sorry. It's uh, 16. 616. My fault. Uh, who alone has immortality dwelling in unapproachable light. Talking about this God who is so bright, so pure, so unpolluted shines so bright, we can't approach him. But if we can't approach him, how do we have relationship with him? Psalm 24, 3 and 4a says, Who can ascend to the hill of the Lord except he who has clean hands and a pure heart? 
who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully. He's talking about something of God's holiness. There's something that separates us from a holy God. Deuteronomy 4.24 says, our God, our God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Hebrews 12.29, our God is a consuming fire. What does that mean? It means this. Impurity can't exist in his presence when his glory is revealed. It's actually consumed. We're going to come back to that next week. Because it's an important part as we understand God's holiness and who he is. So what's some of the result of recognizing that God is holy? First is that we see a big, pure, awesome being. The more we see God's holiness, the bigger he is in our sight. He's different. He's pure. Bible says the heavens and the highest heavens can't contain him. He's greater. The, the more we have a right image of God, the bigger he is in our sight. And the smaller our view of ourselves and other people and even natural circumstances. One of the results of that is that the bigger our picture of God is, the more of the fear of the Lord we have. Now that's a whole topic that we could spend weeks talking about, the fear of the Lord. Uh, It's amazing. Uh, Proverbs 8.13 says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Where does the fear of the Lord come from? It comes from understanding that God's holy. It comes from understanding how big and how great God is. Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Psalm 25.14, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. So there's something about the fear of the Lord, and there's hundreds of scriptures about blessing and, and fulfillment and fruitfulness that come from the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord comes from having a right image of how great and awesome God is. Obviously, that word fear has a whole spectrum. In one side, it's actual terror, If you are separate from God and you see his glory revealed and he's a consuming fire, you will be terrified. But the other side of that spectrum is awe and wonder at his greatness and his goodness. We could talk a long time about that. But I want to look at a couple of applications of understanding the holiness of God 
and one is a simple thing called obedience. Joy Dawson said it this way. When we see him as he is in all his blazing glory, majestic splendor, and awesome holiness, that revelation becomes the greatest motivation to obey him. Instantly, joyfully, and wholly or totally. It becomes a preposterous thought not to obey him. Why do we often not obey God? Because our image of him is not who he really is. Our image of him is less than what he is because we've allowed people to make God in our image rather than recognize we're made in his image. When we focus on who is asking us to do something, not on what we are asked to do, obedience is easy. Let me say that again. When we focus on who it is that is asking us to do something, not what we're being asked to do, obedience is easy. When we get focused on what we're being asked to do, sometimes we say, oh, well, that's too difficult. I'm not sure I have enough ability to do that. When we focus on who's asking us, his grace is sufficient. You still with me? The second point, which is where I wanted to head, especially after what Michelle had shared earlier, is that when we recognize the holiness of God and how great he is, we're released from the fear of man. If God isn't big in your sight, then men become bigger. Or circumstances become bigger. We become more concerned about other people's reaction and thoughts than about God's. Oh God, what if I pray for that person and nothing happens? What are they gonna think of me? See a great, awesome God and we say, God, what are you gonna think of me if I don't obey? Can I say this? I believe the only way to get free from the fear of man is to see God for who he is. You can't just say, I won't be afraid of man. I won't be afraid. 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 If I say it enough, maybe I'll convince myself, no, I actually have to have a revelation of the greatness of God. It's like light and darkness. Darkness, go away, darkness, go away, darkness, go away, darkness, go away, darkness, go away. No, just turn on the light. You can't chase the darkness away. You come to the light. He who dwells in unapproachable light. You can't break the fear of man if God's, the, the picture you have of God is too small because it's in the light of his greatness, of his holiness, of his majesty that 
the fear of man fades into nothingness. As we approach what is for us a new year, I'm not sure it's a new year for God, (laughs) but for us it's a new year according to our calendar, I think if we're going to see an increase in God's presence, in his anointing, and in fruitfulness, we have to be free from a fear of man. What stops us from being fruitful is often concern about what people will think. You're talking to somebody and you feel that moving of the spirit that you should pray for them and you don't because what will they think? And then you say, oh, but God, I want to be more fruitful. And God says, yeah, I'm I'm showing you how. But what blocks it is the fear of man. Because we don't have a greater fear of God. Psalm 27. I tacked this on the other day because I was reading it and it. I'm getting very quiet, aren't I? Is it already up on the overhead? You guys are so great. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Is that your declaration today? God is your light. Not the circumstances. Not what other people think. But God, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked come against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Matthew 6 says, Blessed are you when men persecute you and say things about you wrong, evil things about you falsely for my name's sake. Why did he put that in there? Because that is what we can expect when we're part of this kingdom that is different than the world. We haven't got to that point yet. But I bet we will be. Even though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war may rise against me. In this, I will be confident. In what? The Lord is my light. Isaiah 60 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. It goes on and says, Deep darkness covers the people but the glory of God shines over you. Is God's glory shining over you? Do you have the right picture and image or have you become submitted to darkness, to fear, 
We're going to uh, finish with a song. Guys, if the uh, worship team would come. While they're coming and getting ready, I had this picture as I was preparing this week. As I was talking with uh, Dylan earlier today, he said, uh, no pressure, Russ, but you've had three weeks to prepare for the sermon. (laughs) I said, yeah, I have. My problem was to try and get it into one 30-minute section, but I couldn't, so I'm going to do it over the next three weeks. Uh, But I had this picture, and it was of, uh, how many of you are aware of uh, tree ferns? We have a couple of tree ferns in our yard. And tree ferns are interesting in that they have all these fern leaves that, that go out, and they're, they're actually watered from the top. Now, you would think that that's normal. But, but obviously, rain comes down, and on most plants, it actually is, goes into the ground and is pulled up through the roots. But fern trees, it actually gathers on the ferns and goes to the mill. They grow from the top, not the bottom. And uh, it's an interesting thing, but I had this picture of there's something about understanding, but there's also something about God actually touching us and pouring His presence upon us. In all you're getting, get understanding. We grow as we grow in understanding, but we also grow as God imparts life to us. And I had this picture, it's not one or the other, but I had this picture of all of us standing almost like tree ferns. And God just pouring. And my prayer was, God, would you pour? Would you pour anointing upon us? Would you pour revelation upon us? Would you pour an awe and wonder of who you are upon us? Not just understanding, but understanding and the impartation, the outpouring of the Spirit. And so I'm going to ask you if you would, would you stand if you can? I'm a a bit older than I was 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 40 years ago. or even 50 years ago. And I realized that often our growth in God is as we pursue Him and ask Him to touch us, not stand passive and wait for Him to do something. Oh God, if you want to do something, do it. Now God's looking for us, faith, that says, God, will you pour on me And so I'm going to invite you this morning, if you can, to lift your hands and just pray for you. God, would you pour on me? Would you pour greater anointing? Would you pour greater revelation? Would you pour an honor wonder? Would you enlarge my vision of you to see who you are in every aspect?
but especially your greatness, your holiness. Lord, would you be bigger in my sight than the things around me and the people around me? Will you be bigger? Will you open my eyes to see your greatness? And even as we sing this, will you pour your anointing upon us? In Jesus' name, amen.